You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Church Road and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here is Pastor Bob with this week's sermon. It is, it is fun to come up here and share God's Word when a choir um, has spent some time, practiced, and they come out and they share the gospel. It makes it really easy. Because essentially what I could say is amen, and we go home. So unfortunately, you're stuck um, for a little while longer. Um, but we're going to talk through some, some things. I want you to know that um, we look at, or hearing songs like that, it just reminds me of the privilege that, that I have here at this church. Um, I want to spend just a, a minute talking about a couple of things. One, um, but we're going to vote on a budget later on, I think, at the end of the service. We're going to come into business meeting, talk about that for a few minutes. But I want you to know a couple of things about that going in because it has to do with the proclamation of the gospel. Um, the first thing is that us on staff have a passion for sharing Christ and a passion for equipping the church to do what the church is supposed to do. So our role in, is in leadership. So I want you to know that I feel very privileged to be part of a group of folks that have that as their passion. And so whether it's, whether it's Pastor Curry or Pastor Scott or Pastor Wayne uh, as for, and in our ministerial staff um, sharing and Scott's in student ministry. Wayne, he's in the other building because right now he's hanging out with kids. He's hanging out with our children and leading them in worship. Pastor Curry works in family and discipleship, and that has to do with small groups, whether it be Sunday morning or Wednesday night, and, and the connect groups on Sunday evenings, which you ought to plug into in January. Did you catch that? Okay, just in case. That's good. So um, he's, he's responsible for that. And, and then, just so you understand, if you were to look at the budget, you say, well, how come Pastor Wayne is down there? Well, Pastor Wayne's down there because he's down there right now once a month because he's doing double duty. He has been children's pastor for a while, and then he moved over to worship, which means normally he's here, but he's down there first of the month. I'll, hopefully I'm not confusing you. He will be back here, and this is going to be his spot. We're in the middle of the search for a children's person. Somebody to serve in children's ministry to lead that. And that would be from preschool all the way through fifth grade. And so that person will be responsible for that. Uh, let me give you a quick update on that. That group has met. Um, the children's ministry search team has met several times. We've had some lengthy discussions on some, some different things. They're just part of, part of us narrowing down how we're going to do our process and what we're looking for. And so we had to work through some job description things. We had to work through the description that we put in public. And then the other part of that is putting that word out so we can start collecting resumes and, you know, intro letters and all that kind of stuff from people that would even be interested. But I want you to know that that group prays. And that group is very interested in having the person that God wants here. And so you pray for that group. 
as they share. And they'll continue to share with you, but I, I can tell you that we've looked over some resumes. We're in the middle of looking over some and collecting more. And the, the resumes will be collected through the end of this month. And then we're going to see where we're at. And hopefully we'll work through that process. It's not going to be next week. So in case you're saying, can we have somebody by next week? No. No. So um, just know that that is a group that is working diligently. Um, Hope Cantrell is, is the chairperson of that team. And um, she's working to guide that group through that process of calling a children's person, children's ministry person here to be on staff. So that's, that's exciting. And then in the administrative end that you will see in our budget, we've got an administrative assistant that works on communication. That's Jen. And, um, and she works, like, she's kind of all over the building. So um, on any given time when you'll show up, she may be up there working on that computer, or she may be down in her office working on that computer, or in, the, office, or in the, the workroom folding something, or somewhere else collecting other information. And so she's kind of, she, she's kind of the, the front person for us. And so she answers the phone and sends out phone invites to you. The, that's kind of some of the stuff that she does. She gets the bulletin ready. She takes care of all our publications. And so she's got a big job, and I'm glad that she's here. The other person is Rita, and Rita works in our financial end. And Rita's job started out as very part-time. And it's moved to more, more part-time. Um, I don't know how to explain that. We went from a certain amount of hours to something else because we moved some monies around and did some things with the way our monies were being handled and the way our accounting was being done so that more money was spent on her salary line item or her compensation than it was sending it out to another company to do some of the things that we wanted done. So some of that's been moved around. So Rita serves in our office, which means that when our credit card statements come in or the telephone bill comes in or somebody has a question about finances or staff goes, I don't know where my receipt is. She gets to deal with that. So she gets to deal with all of us. And so she, she works on the financial end. And then the newest person on staff with us in the administrative end is Ted Milby. And Ted, Ted's job has changed a little bit as well. It's a facilities manager, but his job, it, what used to be just here and a little bit at North, is now about 15 to 20 hours up at North Campus, working on some maintenance things and, and helping up there, and then the rest of it down here. And he takes care of all the facilities. So if you see a restroom that's clean, it's because Ted has made sure that that has happened. Um, trash is empty. This place is vacuumed. All those kind of things. And that's in conjunction with what Faith Baptist does because they use our buildings and they provide some of that labor as well through the week and taking care of behind themselves. So we are, we are privileged as a church to have a staff that is a passion for Christ and a passion for what God is doing here. So we say, well, Ted just cleans a building. No, Ted has a passion for Christ, and it shows up in the way the building is kept. It is that, that last vision part, remember stewarding our resources? That's part of it. It's the same way in the offices with, with ordering materials. We can order very expensively, or we can order as a steward and making sure that we have what we need, but we don't overspend what we don't need to spend. 
So that's part of it. And it's because they have a passion for Christ. And they want to do what's right by our church, but they want to do what's right by the name of Christ. Both for us and for the community that watches us. Um, I was commenting on the way to the parade last night. By the way, if you missed it, you missed it. Um, Lego Church made it through Hillsboro last night. And it was awesome. Um, there were, I don't know how many people were there. I just know that we ran out of bags way earlier than we anticipated, which is a good thing, but it also helps us to know what we need to do next. And we had, uh, I was guessing somewhere 25, 30 folks from our church and then there was the group from Faith that had about 50 kids behind us. And so we had pretty close, you know, ministerially speaking, we had 700 people there, but it was probably closer to 100. And, and we came down through Hillsborough and greeted folks and said Merry Christmas and, and all those kind of things and handed out those bags, and it was awesome. And it was a, a wonderful time down there. I have no idea where I went, why I went there. Um, there was a reason. I uh, just can't remember what it was. <laughs> but it was, but the parade was good. And it was a lot of fun. And I uh, learned a lot. Oh, I know, I know what it was. Now I can't remember why I was going there, though. I was, I was thinking about that helicopter with the lights on it. If you were there, you saw it. Um, so anyways, it was, it was great to have that and to... to folks in our congregation having a passion to share Christ. And so it's kind of part of our DNA, isn't it? To say we want to be a place that, that takes the gospel somewhere, whether it's just around the corner, just down over to Hillsboro during a parade and hand out stuff and, and proclaim the name that way, or it's across the world. We want to be part of that. And so our mission section of our budget covers some of that. We give to the cooperative program, which is a percentage-based account. We give to the Yates Association, which is another percentage account. So it rises and, and falls with our giving. And so we do that on a regular basis. Then there's other ministries that, that fall under that category. But the, the idea is that we are seeking through our budget to, to take the gospel somewhere. And so whether it's money sent to cooperative programs so that can happen so the SBC can continue to operate and seminaries are supported and education happens and, or missionaries are helped. Uh, all that is part of the beginning part of our budget that we vote on. You say, well, I don't know what all those pieces are. All I'd say is ask. But the, the emphasis in that is that we're sharing the gospel and that's part of that section of our budget. And we want to be intentional with it. See, when we do that, there is a, a piece of us that goes with that. Because we say we're going to give that, so part of our heart goes as well. So when I listen to a story about a guy in Tibet, and he starts talking about earthquakes, I, I know that what I give through the Lottie Moon offering goes to help him. But I know he was serving next to where my daughter was, which means I have a connection to that guy on the video. And you probably know people that have connections to different people. And, and if you were to trace it, you'd have connections to missionaries all around the world. You would say, I know them and I'm, I'm invested in that. 
See, there are a lot of people that live in fear because they don't know what it is to have a relationship with Christ. And when we give and when we go, when we pray, when we do all those things, we're helping to, to answer a question, what do I do when I'm afraid? See, the, the whole series during this month is, to, is talking about fear not. We all have fears. I've got fears. But, we, but when we look at Scripture, the, the key and what we read a lot of times is, do not be afraid or fear not, however you want to put that. I was looking up top fears that people have. Um, it was pretty interesting because I think there, there are two main fears that, that I can narrow down, and they're not even on the list. The first one would be that God would stop talking and calling people. That ought to be a fear. And then the other part of that was, would be the fear that somebody I know that I'm responsible for would go to hell because I am not diligent enough to share the gospel with them. Two fears that aren't even on the list. We all have fears. Let me just kind of work through this list because it was an interesting list because some things were not in the order I thought they were going to be in when I looked at it. Here's, here's the list. Um, the first one is flying. Where's, is, never mind. I was, gonna, I was looking for somebody. Um, flying is a fear, but uh, Debbie grew up, her dad worked for Delta, so she flew all the time. So she really knows how the planes are made. And she still gets on them. So that's one. First one is flying. Second one is public speaking, which I get that. I, I remember when I was in college sweating a lot. Um, now I just sweat some. Um, heights, darkness, intimacy. I'll just stop there for a minute. Um, intimacy. Um, death. But you can kind of understand that. Fear of failure. And then the, the last one is fear of rejection. That, that's, that was number eight on the list. And I'm thinking, oh, I, at some point in my life, I had most of these. Maybe, maybe a little bit of this or a little bit of that. I remember fearing getting on a roller coaster. So maybe heights. But when I got, at some point, I was able to sit on the edge of the roof of my house and hang Christmas lights. And dangle my feet off, and it didn't bother me. The last time I did that, I got stuck. Ladder blew over, had to call a neighbor, you know, and called somebody that had connections in town, too, so everybody knew it before I ever got off the roof. But heights don't bother me a whole lot anymore. Um, fear of rejection was one of those ones that I just hated. That's why I didn't really date in high school. But there was probably some other reasons, but, um, but I wouldn't ask a girl out. I mean, I could have long conversations. I had a neighbor, and we were like best friends for, for growing up and for a while, and I could talk to her all day long, but I couldn't ask a girl out when I got to high school. And I have no idea why. I would say it was 30 before I did, but was married before that. So um, obviously I got enough courage to ask at least one out. Um, but, but fear of rejection. See, overcoming fears 
takes some element of trust and offers hope. So overcoming fear takes some, some element of trust and it offers us hope. Think, think about that for just a minute. If I'm fearful, then I need, I need to, get, to get past that. I need to be able to trust something. If I'm fearful about heights, then I need to be able to trust whatever I'm standing on or sitting in or something like that to be able to, be able to do that. One of the things that helped me get over heights was watching people come off of roller coasters because none of them look dead. And I thought, well, I can do that. They, they obviously survived. I'm probably not going to die, so I can do that, and I'll, I'll be okay. Same with rejection. I've watched people ask people out, so I should be able to get by that, right? And so I had to trust something, whether it was my own perception or, or placing my, my faith in something else. For a plane, it was the pilot or the mechanic or, or somebody that worked on that, that. I had to place some trust somewhere. But in addition to that, it also offered hope, which meant I could get past it. If I could look at somebody and say, I saw them ask somebody out, that person actually said yes to them. So, so on the back end of that, there was hope. So if I asked a girl out, I'd at least stand some kind of chance that she might say yes. Some kind of chance. And so... That the whole idea is that overcoming fear requires an element of trust and offers hope. Well, Luke 1 is one of those passages where we read the, the phrase, fear not or do not be afraid. We see it a couple times in here. And it's, it's about Zacharias or Zachariah, depending on which version you have. It's really the same name. And Elizabeth, the first part of Luke 1, talks about their story. And, the, and their story is going to be one of those stories where we're going to see that their world was cruising along just, just as it was supposed to. Now, it had some bumps in the road. Don't get me wrong. It, it, was, not a, it was not a story where there weren't some speed bumps and some hills and some valleys and those kind of things. But they go through this, and God interjects in the picture and says that I've got something different for you. And basically what he does is he flips their world through a God-ordained encounter and mission. What Zacharias and Elizabeth are given is they, they're given this chance to not just meet God and see God at work, but to understand what seeing God at work, how that translates into what's going to happen through their son. And so we're going we're gonna to read that. And what I would like for us to do is we're going to walk through this together. So um, instead of reading verses and, and going through an outline, um, we're just going to kind of walk through Luke 1 together and comment as we go. So this is what it says, starting at verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So we get the, the people in this. Priest named Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. And then it says this about them. It says, they were both righteous in the sight of God. Now that's a key phrase because to be righteous in the sight of God is different than being righteous in the sight of man. 
there are a lot of people that can be righteous in the sight of man and not righteous in the sight of God. So here we read, Luke writes, he says, they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. That's an incredible testimony for Zacharias and Elizabeth because there were some challenges in their life. He was a priest, but he was not a priest that lived around the temple. He was a priest that lived out. He was a country priest. He was, he was the guy, he was, he was the guy that, that talked a little bit slower than everybody else who was a priest in the temple. He was kind of an outskirts kind of guy. And so he wasn't looked on with high esteem. He was just looked at. And, they, and he was just a guy who, as his turn came up, was ready to do whatever. There was no fanfare, no fancy clothing on Zacharias. He was just another guy who was a priest in the division of priests that got to serve. And it says um, that they walked blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Then it says this, this commentary in the middle of this, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. Uh, If you think about it, what do, what do people ask about kids or dads? Yeah, if I know people, they, some, some families have lots of kids, some families don't have any, um, and then there's something in between. And, and, you know, when we were getting ready to have children or thinking about that, it was like, oh, well, how many do you want? I don't know. But when you start thinking about being a dad, you go, I kind of like a boy. I just want a boy. I want somebody to, that'll kind of take the name and keep going. And it doesn't always happen. It's not really up to us. We don't get to choose that. That's kind of a God thing. And that's, and that's fine. But here, here in this story, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And in that day and time, that was an issue. See, there was a, a part of the culture that would have told Zacharias, it would be okay for you to walk away from Elizabeth since she is barren and you're a priest. There were some that would say, no way. But it says that they were both righteous and blameless. And they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. That, that advanced in years is, is pretty interesting. It, it basically means that there was a lot of days behind them. And so they, they get to this place, and, and they're, they're both older. And I kind of wonder in Zacharias' life, if, if he wasn't looking at it going, time is up. There is not a chance. And we read a little bit later that, that Zacharias had prayed, and Elizabeth had prayed. And they had asked God to give them a child. And I wonder if there was ever a time where they said, it is too late. It's not going to happen. So we'll just kind of go on and accept it. I'm thinking they may have gotten there. It says, now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the, anoint, or the appointed order of his division, this is verse 8, 
Then verse 9, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. We would say that's, that's not a big deal. It's a big deal. For Zacharias to have this particular task of burning incense was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him. It didn't come around to everybody. And it wasn't like there were ten guys to choose from. There was a large number of guys, and, and in his whole life, he's advanced in years. At this point, he had yet to do it. And yet, it says that by lot, he was chosen to burn incense this year. You got to go, well, that was chance. It was God. It was a God-ordained appointment to be the incense burner in the temple that year. And to think anything other than that would discount the rest of the story because God's got a plan in mind that seems to be outside the, the bubble or the perception of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Because he, I don't know, maybe he hoped and prayed that he would do that one day, but there's a whole lot of things that are going to happen in this that start out with him just going along and doing the things that he's supposed to do. When we do the things that God's called us to do, even in the mundane, God can step into that and do something miraculous. So don't think, you go, I, I, I'm just coming to hammer something together. There's no telling what God's going to do. Being part of what God's about means being available to Him whenever He asks you to do something. And so Zacharias goes into this. He says, um, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And in verse 10 it says, and the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. That was a big deal in the nation. He was going in on behalf of the people before God. And then in verse 11, it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing in the, to the right of the altar of incense. I don't know about you, but if I'm in Zacharias' shoes, this is not what I signed up for. You know, it's a big deal to go in and be the incense burner. Obviously, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing for him. But he goes in there with the idea that he's going to do just what he's been asked to do according to the law as it is written. He does not want to veer to the left or to the right. This is his shot. And so I'm sure he goes in somewhat intimidated because he's representing the people. And he goes in. He says, I'm going to do it, and I don't want to get in trouble for doing it wrong. And he goes in, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. And I'm right with Zacharias on this. Verse 12, it says, Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. That, that word troubled means to be disturbed. It's, so Zacharias, he's disturbed and then says that, that fear gripped him or seized him. It took hold of him. It's, it's the idea that he walks in, he's ready to do something, sees this angel and just freezes. And, and just kind of like, 
I don't even know what to do next. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those spots. I'm not sure that I can even recall a spot like that where I was so fearful that I just stopped and did nothing. Zacharias is in that spot. Zacharias was troubled, and when he saw the angel, fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, or fear not, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. What petition? Zacharias, what are you asking for? I think initially we'd say, well, he was asking for a child. But then you'd go, well, he was advanced in years. Did he stop asking? Or did he do one of those Abraham things that, like, well, you did it before, you can do it again, right, God? Maybe he was there. Maybe he was just asking God, God, help me to get through this particular, this particular piece of my priestly duty without incident and represent the people well and come before you and ask for forgiveness and do all the things that I'm supposed to do as part of my duties. And God, I want you to be glorified through my life. Maybe that was his petition. Could have been all of it says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will give him the name John. Well, you got specific, angel. And so he tells him, he says, your wife's going to bear a son, and, and I, you get told that when you're advanced in years and all kinds of things go through your head. You start thinking about what's going to happen and how that works. I, I know how it is now. When you have a child, for a little while, there's little sleep. Or sleep is at least interrupted. Here's Zacharias and Elizabeth. You know, they're thinking, oh, man, I have to chase a child. And we're not set up for that anymore. Our bodies are not the same as they used to be. We can all answer amen to that, right? I was having a discussion right before service about, about doing things on a baseball field or a softball field that I used to do. Dare not do it now. A whole nother story. But here Zacharias is, is told, your wife's going to bear a son. And you're going to call his name John. And at this point, he's got to trust. There's a question in, in Zacharias' life is, okay, here's an angel that's come in this spot, and I'm in here, and I'm being asked to trust. How can I do that? Verse 14, the angel says, You will have joy and gladness, for many will rejoice at his birth. So everybody's going to be really glad about John. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Ooh. This is getting serious. So the angel gives, us, gives him this description of this of this person who's going to be born to his wife that's going to come about and be this person that's not going to drink wine or liquor, but is going to, is going to do something special. We know it's going to be special. John means Jehovah is a gracious giver. That's what John means. 
We're going to tie that to another name that's going to be given here in a little bit. But he is having a test of faith here, a test of trust. And then it says, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. Why would that even be needed? Because people had strayed. You read through and you, and you start to, to look at the, the life of a nation. And when God seems to be quiet or seems not to be present, people drift. It happened in Moses' day. And if you read Judges chapter 2, it says that Joshua lived, he died, and right after he died, that whole generation passed away and the next generation forgot to live for God. In fact, I tell you what, let's, let's look at it. Judges chapter 2 says this. It says, Then Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. He did all right. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in timnath in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. And all the generation, this is, you need to hear this, all the generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. You remember going into is into the, the promised land what God told Joshua, do not be afraid. Follow my commands. It'll go well. And then we get to the generation after Joshua and they forgot God. They forgot God. How do you forget God? When God isn't in the picture, when God seems to be far away, when it, he, you're detached from Him, we drift away from God's commands and what He asks us to do. And so Zacharias is in this spot where he says, where the angel says, your wife's going to bear a child, and that child is going to be the one. He's going to be the voice, the, the mouthpiece of God. And, he's gonna, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. Basically, he's going to proclaim it, and they're going to respond. It says, it is he who will go as a forerunner before him, talking about the Messiah, in the spirit and the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of their fathers back to, their chil to the children, and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What a job. So Zacharias, you thought this was going to be just doing your priestly duty, but I'm coming to tell you that your wife's going to bear a son, and he's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, and when he proclaims it, people are going to turn, and they're going to be prepared to hear from a Messiah, prepared to meet Messiah. What a crazy job. That's John's job. John, John is the forerunner will go with the Spirit of God and the power of Elijah and go and tell the people about who this Messiah is. And he will declare that. And we'll read that later in the book, later in the Gospels, we read about how that happens. But here we see that God is just dealing with Zacharias and Elizabeth and proclaiming this. He's making the, the group ready for the Messiah to show up. Second, 
this part of John's mission to prepare the people for the Lord is special. It, it essentially means to adorn or equip. We've built two houses in our lifetime. We're still married. Um, I know it strains things when that happens. The, um, the second house, I was wiser, let somebody else do a lot of it. The first house, I did a lot of it. But, I, but I, you, you realize when you build a house, there are certain things that need to take place. And for something to be prepared, it's got to be completely prepared. And so what this word means is it, it's not the idea of getting the certificate of occupancy, which means you can go abide in the house means the, the plumbing works and the heat works and doors are on, stuff like that. And it's not, it's not even that next step where you say, we'll put up blinds so we don't want shock neighbors or anything like that. So it's, it's not even that stage. It's beyond that. It's, it's about taking all the boxes and everything that goes in a move and putting it into the home and unpacking it so it's ready and prepared. That's the picture here we see of John when he... The people would be ready or prepared or completely, completely equipped for the Messiah to show up. How they, how they respond is something completely different. He says, they will, they will be made ready and prepared for the Lord. So Zacharias in, in verse 18 says, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Guys, never say that. Unless you're in the presence of an angel and nobody else is around, I guess you can get away with it. <laughs> the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you good news. Man. Behold, you shall be silent. Oh, man. So I get good news and then you shut me up. That doesn't work right. Behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And so Zacharias is like, you've given me good news. I'm supposed to trust you, and I can't even tell anybody. And so we get to this next part. It says, and the people were waiting for Zacharias, and were wondering at his delay in the temple. What has taken this guy so long? Well, there was something happening inside the temple that nobody else was aware of. And so he's delayed. You remember what happened when people get delayed? Remember when Moses was a little delayed? People go, uh, let's try something else. Sometimes God works on his timetable and we need to be subject to it and wait. That's part of the deal. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to him. And so they realized that something strange had happened inside the building, inside that area where Zacharias was. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Now, can you imagine that scene? He comes out and he's had this encounter with an angel. And he comes out. And he's trying to tell them what has taken place inside the temple. But he can't talk. So what does he do? How does that look? You know, how do you do all... Uh, it's like New Testament charades. 
you know, I don't know how that looked coming out. But he's trying to communicate what had taken place inside. And they've got to catch it. And I'm not sure they can. And so Zacharias is given this good news. They don't necessarily understand it. And when the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. He spent all this time trying to explain it without even talking. And so he, he goes back home. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. And she kept herself in seclusion for five months. And get this, in verse 25 is what she says. This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. So her whole perception was that I was in disgrace until this. As, a, as the wife of a priest, it was tough. Now, let me just do a, a sidebar here. There are some people that God has in the place where they cannot bear children. The cultural aspect of this is one thing. The practical aspect for us is to understand that God has a purpose. God kept Elizabeth barren till she was advanced in age and then decided to bless her with a child. Maybe an unexpected child who's going to be called John. But if you're in here and you're in the spot that Elizabeth was before she had John, it's not a curse. It's, you are exactly where God has you. And God wants to do something in your life that is just outside the circle of that, of bearing a child or having a biological child. It may be that because you cannot bear a biological child, that you have the resources to adopt somebody who can't be taken care of by a biological mom or dad. And so adoption may be the, the reason. It may not even be that. It may be that you just come alongside another couple who has children and you have the time and the opportunity to come alongside them and to help them through issues. Kind of like Magnolia House and Safe Families. That may free you up to do that or to foster. There are a lot of different ways that you can still be involved in the lives of children and parent. And being a biological mom is not always always the thing that has to happen. So if we come back to this story, Elizabeth sees this as a blessing from God that she wasn't expecting. Zacharias can't talk. And in verse 26, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. So Gabriel sent on mission number two. And gets there to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was very perplexed at, his, at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. So basically, she was confused by probably not just his presence, by what he called her. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid or fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. At that point, she has to trust. So Zacharias had to trust. Elizabeth had to trust. Mary had to trust. 
In all this, it was to dispel fear, trust me. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, which means Jehovah is salvation. And so what what was getting set up is John was this one who says that God is the giver and then Jesus comes along and that name means God is salvation. You put those together, it's the idea that God gives salvation and it comes from nowhere else. It comes to the person of Christ and there is no other name by which men must be saved except the name of Christ. There's no other option. We read through this whole story We get down to verse 36, and behold, even your relative Elizabeth, this is kind of the proof to Mary, has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. And then we get to that that phrase that's kind of like at the end of a presentation, the mic drop. I would do that, but it'd drive Vic crazy. So... So we just kind of pretend, just do the mic drop, and, it, and it's this phrase in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. I don't see any caveat to that, any exception to that. God can do what he wants to do. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of life. He's the provider. He's the healer. He's all those things, and God can do what he wants to do. So when we read this and we say nothing will be impossible with God, we have to understand that it applied to Mary's life. Right then, right there. Mary, you're going to have a child and be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Nothing will be impossible with God. Elizabeth, you're going to have a child even though you're a little bit older than most moms. Zacharias, you're eventually going to be able to speak if you get this right. Nothing will be impossible with God. And God is essentially saying to them, and he's saying to us, trust me. Just trust me. See, if I'm not God, trust me. See, trust dispels fear. It's it's the idea of a a rock being dropped into, into a pail of water and just pushing things out. When we trust God, then then we understand that God has what's not only best for us in mind, but but he gets rid of the fear and says, you can lean on me with all that you are because I'm big enough for you to do that. And so when we say words like I can't or it won't happen or I'm not worthy of salvation because I've gone too far, God says, I'm God. Don't forget that. Nothing's impossible. God is able, he's trustworthy, and he's a hope giver. So if you're in here and say, I've pushed God off too long, come to God. I'm pretty sure he's not pushing you away. I can't do this because I'm afraid. Trust God. Allow him to be God in your life. Just as he was God in Zacharias' life, in Joseph's life, in Mary's life, and in Elizabeth's life. The question always came down to, when fear comes up, will you trust me? Will you trust who I am?
Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for the testimony of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Where at some point in their life, panic may have set in because they couldn't have a child. You bring Zacharias into the temple, ordained by you for this encounter. That would change everything. In their life, and in the life of a nation, as he becomes the forerunner to the Messiah. So, Father, we're thankful for this background story to Jesus showing up as a babe in Bethlehem. And so, God, we're, we're thankful for that. We're thank you for, thankful for the testimony of that couple. We're thankful for the testimony of Mary who listened to the angel and said, I don't understand it. God, I feel blessed. And I'm wondering as I read this about the responsibility they that both may have felt in this of taking care of this part of God's story and how that weighed on their shoulders. And Father, I pray that us, that we would be so open to you and obedient to you that when you call us to do something that's a little bit beyond what we're comfortable with, that we'll understand we can trust you and that you want us to be part of your story of what you're doing, whether it's through missions, through support of the budget, through ministries, or whatever it happens to be. God, that we just get in on what you're doing and understand that we can trust you with all that we are. And so, God, I pray that as this morning, if we need to trust Christ, that that we'll make those steps and come to the front of the church and say, I need to trust Christ as my Savior this morning. I don't know what all that means, but I need to trust him. God, we may be in this spot where we say, I've not trusted you with several things, and I just need to come to this altar and, and come before you and say, God, I want to give up. And I want to rely on you with all that I am. God, some of us need to recommit. Whether it's recommit in the, the area of giving or the area of using our talent or or time, whatever it happens to be, some of us need to come and confess that. But Father, regardless of why we've come, God, I pray you'll help us to be obedient to you, that you would receive the glory and the honor by the way your kids respond, by the way we respond. And so God, do that work for your glory this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. For listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church, we welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, then please share it with others and check out our ministries at ebcconnect.org.